The views and opinions expressed on the 10-8 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 10-8 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. I'm a match, she Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the 108 Podcast. My name, at least for the podcast, is Officer Y, and I would like to welcome you to the first episode of my new partnership with Project 109. That's right. For those of you that don't know, Project 109 is an organization in Connecticut which provides support and resources to law enforcement and other first responders around the world in the areas of mental health, spiritual health, and just about anything else you can think of. We did an episode last month. And uh, I've been a fan of theirs for several months prior. We all know I've been an advocate for mental health, or at least I definitely try to be. So yeah, so we decided to go together, and once a month we are going to do an episode together, and this is it. We decided to kick off the new year right, and here we go. If you haven't listened to our previous episode from December, it's about mental health, uh, definitely go check it out. But first, you're here, let's listen to this. Uh, Today's episode is a cop council episode of sort, so that's what Stephanie is going to be doing. She's going to be coming in on um, our cop council episode. Sometimes her husband George will join us as well. And then we're going to have other guests in different realms of public safety and law enforcement. And we will discuss mental health and other issues to hopefully spark conversations, open the door, and um, see where we can go from that. So today, we take a spin on that. Today, we get brave and we go to the comm center. Don't worry, we brought snacks. And we're going to speak to the bunker bitches themselves. That's right, we're going to talk to dispatchers today. Now, uh, I don't know a thing about dispatch, aside from it's a place outside of the city that I don't go. It's kind of like that scene in in Simba, that scene in Lion King, where Simba and Mufasa are on top of Pride Rock, and he's like, that shadowy place is the comm center. Don't go there. Luckily, my guests do know what that's about. So Stephanie has 18 years in public safety with six in dispatch, and our other guest is a meme queen who just so happens to also live in front of a dispatch console it is the alluring dispatcher mo and she's going to be joining us in just a few but first before we get into that topic the topic and interview are great very poignant it's gonna hit some spots with people i want to dish out some thoughts about another topic um that i kind of alluded to pre-christmas or pre-new year's at least i can't remember but um i want to talk about right now which is arresting drug users. I know it has nothing to do with the rest of the episode, but that's okay. You know how, like, when you watch a Simpsons episode, the first, like, five minutes have nothing to do with the rest of the episode? That's what I'm here for. Anyway, uh, I know arresting drug drug users isn't even really a thing in most of the country anymore, but it's so hard to make a post on my Instagram um, about narcotics enforcement without people sliding into the comments about how it's a waste of resources and it's a victimless crime and yada, yada, yada. So here's my stance on it. First off, at least in Florida, unlawful possession of a controlled substance is still a state statute. It is still an arrestable offense. So it's legal, ergo, within the realm of my duty. But what really gets me going 
is when people say that drug use is a victimless crime. And drug possession, should I say, is a victimless crime. Now, I don't know if it's just how my mind works. Maybe it's my previous experience as a history major, which has taught me to see the cause and effect and what actions lead to other incidents. Or maybe it's just because I'm a police officer and I can see how certain incidents of blight can lead to other problems. But let's break it down. So, for, for our story today, you have Donnie the Dopehead. Donnie is hooked on meth for this scenario. He's going to go and he's going to buy his meth from the dealer and he's going to get high. And he's probably going to be somewhere in the downtown area where there's the most traffic to disguise this transaction. Now, what else would be in a downtown business district? Probably other folks, just like you and me, going about their day, you know, conducting business. So while Donnie is out there tweaking, these people... This family, just for the sake of this story, has to watch Donnie reenact the Michael Jackson thriller dance with no music. So I'd say that subjecting citizens who otherwise would never see a tweaking meth head do this dance, um, I'd count them as a victim. So later, because it, you know, it robs them of their you know, sensibility. I don't know. So later, the, that same family is going to go home, not too far from the downtown area, just to keep things simple. Uh, Donnie, now feeling the full effects of his high, either wants to get more, but doesn't have the money to do so because the money that he got from selling his food stamps has run out, or he's just looking for something to do because the meth makes it so you can't sleep. So he's just wandering around the streets at night. So what does he do? He's going to lurk into their neighborhood. He's going to scope out some cars, probably with unlocked doors, which, by the way, the police love to hear that you leave your doors unlocked. Uh, he's going to look for open garage doors with tools out. Bicycles are another big one. And sometimes, you know what? Locks and doors aren't even a burden to Donnie the Dopehead, and he's just going to break in and get what he wants anyway. So we've got car burglary, house burglary, grand theft, all things that I would say victimize otherwise innocent people thanks to Donnie's addiction, which, remember is a victimless crime. So let's go elsewhere. We're going to go back to uh, Donnie in just a second. So we go to Donnie's dealer. Now, Donnie doesn't, Donnie's dealer doesn't live where Donnie is breaking into stuff. No, why, why would he? He lives in another part of town, another part of the county, whatever. Uh, and Donnie's dealer is engaged in criminal activity by dealing drugs. Unless, of course, he's in Oregon, and then he's just called an entrepreneur. Well, anyway, Donnie's dealer, he's going to get in a fight with other dealers because... Who knows why? I don't really know what drug dealers have to fight about. I mean, they're making mountains of cash, just untaxed income that is, you know, it's always um, resurging. You know, you're always going to get the refill of money uh, because people are going to still use drugs as long as the other things I'm about to talk about. Well, anyway, they get in a fight, whatever. So they get in a fight and why would they just fight with their words? Why would they just, you know, fist fight? No, no, no. They're going to shoot it out and they're probably going to shoot it out on a busy city street because, you know. Why wouldn't they? And straight bullets are going to hit uh, cars that are on the street. It's going to hit houses on the side. And God forbid, you know what? It might hit a child on the sidewalk. All of those things, all those people are now victims of Donnie's drug addiction, which, remember, is a victimless crime. Now, let's not forget that after these shootings, there's going to be retaliation shootings because, you know, those happen too. And God forbid that one of these dealers actually hits one another. And let's just say you have a homicide. So now you have the dealer's family out there saying that their child was an angel and never broke the law and, and whatever, whatever. They're out there, they're mourning him, and now they're victims. 
And then we also have retaliations to that, too, which is just a whole nother thing. And then you've got, you know, the police out there. And if you ask the city councilwoman or is she the mayor? I don't even know what she is anymore of Portland that, you know, cops out there looking for guns. Um, that's racist. Apparently, I didn't know guns had a race, but hey, what whatever. So anyway, let's go back to Donnie. So now Donnie doesn't like meth anymore, or maybe he's just spicing it up. But anyway, he's going to go and he's going to order some fentanyl. Or, well, no, he's not going to order fentanyl. He's going to order heroin. But much to Donnie's surprise, the heroin is mostly fentanyl because fentanyl is cheap. And dealers and cartels, they don't care about anything other than high profit margins. So they're going to sell mostly fentanyl to Donnie. Now Donnie does his thing and Donnie overdoses. Now, if Donnie's buddies aren't quick enough to administer their own Narcan, they're going to call the police or they're going to call EMS or fire. But anyway, they're going to get their free Narcan. And that's not really free because, let's be honest, us taxpayers, we pay for that. So, I mean, you know, it's all part of the grand scheme of things, but I consider myself a victim of that. And, you know, if the police aren't quick enough to respond, then Donnie dies. Now Donnie's family has to mourn the loss of their their family member, you know, son, brother, whatever. Um, and thus you're going to victimize them from Donnie's victimless crime. This is what I like to call the narcotic circle of life. It is real, and any cop who works in any jurisdiction with people in it, so, you know, all you cow deputies, just hold on one second, I'll get to you. Uh, you experience multiple aspects of this circle on a daily basis, if not all of them. In a 12-hour tour of duty, I could see you dealing with a car burglary, a shooting, a dead body, a narcotics complaint. You know what I'm saying? So, all that being said, I will never subscribe to the notion that narcotics enforcement, even to the user level, is a lost cause. Our politicians, you know, the ones that put these things on the ballot, don't live in the neighborhoods that are affected by these folks, and thus they don't give a shit. And actually, what I learned from the most recent election, not to get too political, but they put an enticing item on the ballot, drug legalization, raising the minimum wage, whatever. Then their campaign folks, you know, the people that are volunteering because, you know, they like, they like guy A as opposed to guy B. Anyway, they go out there and they're trying to get people to, to sign the petition. Hey, we want this on the ballot. So they get people to sign it on the ballot. And while they're there, they go, hey, you know who isn't supportive of this? The other guy, candidate B. So then they're like backdoor promoting whoever candidate that placates and panders to, let's say, the less educated, lower income side of society. Whoever that may be. And, you know, actually, I will, I'll tip my, tip my hand a little bit. Uh, back when I was younger and didn't know anything, um, I signed one of those things. I didn't see the issue in something and I signed into it. And guess what? I'd say not a week later, I started getting campaign emails from candidate A as opposed to candidate B. Um, so it's crazy. You know, you just sign your name and phone number and email address. And now you start seeing all these really political uh, uh, pieces of information coming to your internet or your email. So anyway, I got off track with that. So whoever candidate a may be, uh, they're, they're promoting him. And, you know, to think about it, a few years ago, Florida voted to allow nonviolent felons to vote, as did a few other states, if memory serves me correctly. And you know what is a nonviolent felony? Drug possession is the circle of life, folks. 
Meanwhile, us hardworking individuals will continue to go down to the downtown and see Donnie the dopehead tweaking and panhandling and getting served up only to later break into our neighborhood and steal our hard-earned possessions. While we, as the police, can arrest him for, let's say, the dime bag in his pocket, he will get time served or some bogus probation term that he's going to violate anyway, and be right back out on the street. It's just enough to drive you batty. Alright, now that I have provided you with some brain droppings, just let that marinate and get you thinking and really pissed off. Let's move forward. Uh, when we come back, we will have a great conversation with two people who are just happen to be dispatchers, but they're great in their own right. We have Dispatcher Mo and Stephanie from Project 109. Here we go. All right, we are back, and now joining me uh, once again, we have Stephanie from Project 109. What's going on? Hola, what's up? Not much, and for the first time ever, joining me is Dispatcher Mo. What's going on? Hello. So glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So this is going to be a different kind of episode, different kind of interview, because we are getting down and dirty with the bunker bitches. We're going to be talking. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We're going to be talking to our dispatcher friends, and uh, we're going to get perspective on your side of of the radio. And, and we'll see, you know, there's, we were just talking about it. There's always this, like, I don't want to say this rift between dispatchers and the police, but there is like this, it's like a sibling rivalry. Like, you know, the dispatchers, um, kind of poke the bear sometimes and then we poke the bear back. And then before you know it, we get sent to all the late calls. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's <laughs> how it works. That's our relationship for sure. Right, right, exactly. It's like it's like, you know, you're you're the unseen big sister and, you know, we're just we're we're like the puppets on the end of the string, you know, just tell us where to go and sometimes it feels more like we're the parents <laughs> cuz <'Cause> yes. <laughs> we get so much lip. <laughs> like one of my uh one of my best friends was one of my officers and we're still friends even though I don't work for the department anymore, but um like we had a call come in one night. It was like 3 in the morning and it was a it was a bullshit call, let's be honest, but it sounded like more than it was based on like the questions I was asking. Cause he's not a dispatcher. So he hears me cause he's sitting in, you know, the area two feet from me and he's going off on me. He's like, why aren't you dispatching that? Well, cause it's not protocol and it doesn't need to be dispatched right now. Calm down. Just calm mm-hmm. down. Go back to your cruiser and do your thing. I'll tell you when you need to do something. <laughs> and he just freaks out. He lost it on me. I mean, he ended up kicking out the door to walk outside and I watched him on the camera. He got out to his cruiser. It was locked and he was all screwed up and flustered because of me. And he was just having a tantrum gets in the cruiser and I'm trying to call him on the radio. And I texted him. I'm like, you're not answering your radio. So you're hindering the call way to go. And that started <laughs> um, quite the argument for about a week. <laughs> we were screwing yeah. with each other so bad just to piss each other off. It was, it was great and angry all at the same time. <laughs> right. And I think something that all the cops kind of forget, you know, we get we get on scene and we're dealing with whatever and we deal with some of the, uh, 
you know, you, you think of like a Jerry Springer episode and that's like the bulk of what we deal with, right? Is like the people that are on Jerry Springer and we get frustrated with them on scene. But before that, when we're getting dispatched to the call, we get frustrated with the dispatchers. Like, why does this call have no information? Well, it's because the Jerry Springer crew is the one giving you all that information. You can only give us what they're giving you. So, I, you know, we get all frustrated, but it's not, it's never your fault. We like to think we, well, yeah, I mean, I like, I'd, I'd try to agree with that statement. It could be debatable sometimes. Like I'll own it. Sometimes there's stuff we miss. Like it just shit happens, but there's also times where you guys get on scene and you miss stuff. You'll miss the whole back half of the dispatch because the CAD, you know, didn't upload the right information or the full paragraph or something. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the problem. Or is, you're just like, not listening. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's yeah, a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she said it. I was going to take the nicer route because everyone knows my first and last name. So <laughs> it's hard. I mean, it's it's hard. Like so many people don't understand the technicalities of our job and they treat us like we're just the secretary, the pencil pushing paper printing people. And that's it. Like we're glorified secretaries and there's departments out there that'll blend our job with like uh, a third of our 40 hours a week will be the records clerk. A third of our 40 hour week will be the chief secretary. And a third of our 40 hour week will be a dispatcher. Oh, wow. So hold on a second, guys. You're making people do three full-time job tasks here at once because you think I'm a secretary. Yeah. It's awful. Right. Like our, our phones <laughs> and our switchboards are not the same as, you know, answering for like a Fortune 100 company and some fancy executive. Right, right. And I think, you know, where I work, um, our dispatchers, they are our teletype operators. They also have to do some of our... Um, they can get morphed into what we call the, uh, the real time crime center. So they have to do a little bit more investigative and crime analysis real time. And, or, you know, you got to put in your warrants and, and all this stuff. So to be a dispatcher is such an umbrella term, which I mean, to be a police officer is an, an umbrella term also, but it's so easy for police officers and, you know, deputies or state troopers. Well, maybe not state troopers. Cause they're just, they're, they're one trick ponies, but, um, <laughs> No, but we're, we're, we're so used to having, you know, from, from our side of it, this perspective that no, you're just, you, I for, forgive me for just saying that just a dispatcher. Well, no, it's actually, there are multi facets to every single thing that you do, just like there's multiple things to what we do. And I think it's just not realized enough. I used to think it was absolutely hilarious when my bestie would come in and and I would call him and I'd be texting him and blown him up. I'm like, I have to pee so bad. Can you please come back to the station? Cause I can't leave. Cause we would run one dispatcher a shift. So like it was my oh, comm wow. center. That was it. Fire police, EMS and statewide. Like th- those were my channels and the phones. There was no one else to help me. I had no support dispatchers. Like if you have to pee, like I would have a portable radio and I would pull the phone as far as it would go and lay it on the floor so that I could oh, wow. pee and then go running back to my console. So I would like scream for my best friend to come back. And I'm like, hurry up. So he'd come in, he'd sit down and he would start having a panic attack. And I mean, a full out tears and <laughs> snot and hyperventilating tantrums sitting at the console. And he's like, what do I do if the phone rings? I don't know, dummy. <laughs> what do I say? I don't know. Just say 911. Where's your emergency? Start there. It's a very simple question. It's like, yeah, but what if they talk? (laughs) Of course they're going to talk. That's the point. And I'd have to write out, like I bought him a whiteboard 
It was like the size of two pieces of paper. And I'd have to write the questions to ask with the line next to it. And a different color marker, he'd write the answers to the question. Because they said, if you get a 911 call between the time that I leave and the time that I come back, all of 32 seconds, just write this information down and then get up and dispatch yourself. Just go to the call and I will put it out over the air. I will put it in the CAD. Relax. And he would lose it. And I would argue with him all the time. I'm like, if we don't do anything, then why are you terrified? And he could not justify that. I could not figure it out. Yeah. I mean, me sitting, the idea of me sitting a console or a radio is just, that's terrifying to me. And I used to, I worked in a call center. Like, so talking to people on the phone, I mean, I hate talking to people on the phone, but me talking to people on the phone is not a foreign concept. But, and, and like now, I don't know how it is where you guys work, but I know that hours have certain protocols and you have to ask certain questions in a certain order. And if you don't, then it's going to be an issue and whatever. Uh, My girlfriend's a dispatcher. She tells me all the time that if you ask any question either out of order or you freelance a question, like you're going to get in trouble through your supervision. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's, that's crazy. Crazy to me. The nightmare of all nightmares. Yeah. They drill that into your head, like in training academy, whatever you go to with not asking those questions and saying, you know, basically if we're taken to court, you know, you didn't ask this one question and you're just going to get hammered if you go to court. And they, I mean, they scare you. And so, so I know in training for, or even after training for the first year, I had that piece of paper right next to me the whole time, making sure like I was asking those questions because I was terrified that I wasn't going to ask the right thing. (laughs) Yeah. And most, I would say 95, I'll be generous. I'll say 95% of the questions are absolutely freaking useless. Yeah. And EMD is the absolute most cumbersome program ever. I understand its Mm -hmm. premise, but a lot of the questions don't need to be asked. Like you just don't need to know that information at a BLS level which is 90% of America, even at an ALS level, you don't need to ask those questions. You don't need to know that information. Where are you sending that information other than to someone's CAD? Like you don't need mm-hmm. to know those things. Childbirth, CPR, and overdoses. Those are like the three things we can actually do something useful on. Otherwise, I think it's just keeping the caller busy, to be completely honest. That could be. That could be. But like, I know I've been dispatched or I've heard stories of people being dispatched to person shot. And, you know, this guy, the the caller is giving all this information and it's like, hold on a second, sir. I have to ask you these questions in this order. Don't deviate. I know the guy's bleeding out in your lap, but hold on real quick. I gotta gotta make sure all these boxes are checked because like like Mo said, I don't want to go to court. So uh hold on one second, please. Exactly. And it's yeah. it's ridiculous. Like people just they feed you information and it's just talk, 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 and you gotta pick it apart, and that's your job. But we mm-hmm. can't do that anymore. It's well, hold on a minute, sir. And, and the information they're giving you, that's your next question. You just can't take the information yet. And it's obnoxious. Absolutely freaking obnoxious. Yeah. Or if in- they're having a genuine medical emergency, you know, shortness of breath, or they'll call in saying they're having a heart attack or someone was shot um, and they're bleeding out in front of them and we're sitting there asking for them to confirm their name. It's like little things like that where it's like, okay, I, as long as I have the address for me, that's the most important thing. And I need to get that person to medical right away. So it's like getting a name just seems to be so just something so small, but you have to get it. Otherwise Mm -hmm. you're not following policy. It's just little things like that are are crazy. Mm -hmm. 
And some things that get frustrating to me, and I'm sure it's it's what you guys are talking about, the different protocols and, and so on. Like, huh, this was this was something. I might have to edit this out. I haven't decided yet. Uh, <laughs> we, we get dispatched to a shots fired call, but it comes out as an active shooter. Now, in my mind, shots fired, active shooter have two different levels of severity in my mind, right? Like active shooter, we know what that is. That's the mall. That's, you know the school someone's getting actively murdered in like a in a major catastrophe right 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 and a shot's fired or just a weapons complaint is we don't know it could just be shots going off in the area whatever and there was this one time where i got dispatched to a call like that and you know when you hear active shooter you're going balls to the wall you're you know trying to stop the next columbine end up getting there, find out that it's just, you know, two dope boys in the hood shooting back and forth at each other. I'm like, that is not an active shooter, people. Like, <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and like, I got on my dispatchers about it because it, it was not the first time that's been dispatched. It was just the most dangerous response I've ever done because it was like slick roads and all that nonsense. And I'm like, can we code this correctly? Like, this is not an active shooter. And they're like, we can't like when you answer these questions in this way, it codes it to an active shooter. I'm like, well, that sucks. EPD protocols. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think another thing that we kind of don't understand um, on the road is like where the call goes from a dispatcher's point of view. Like you dispatch, first off, if you're the call taker, you're taking the call in and then you are sending it out. Well, that's all, you know, you know, like I know a lot of times you'll send the call out, you'll hear the call progressing because the officers are keying in, but that's it, right? Like you guys are kind of left in the dark with either you may, you might know if there's an arrest made or or whatever, but there's a lot of unanswered questions for you sitting there. And I think, you know, we're human. We want closure in traumatic events. So how has that been for you two? (laughs) I, I know that there are dispatchers that have said that they're lucky where they have officers that actually they'll call them on the landline or, you know, they'll give them follow up on what happened to someone when it's pretty tragic or if the dispatcher just genuinely wants to know if it's like a child or something. Um, Unfortunately, with my center, it's not like that. We are very left in the dark. We never we never find out what happens. Um, But I will say even in my interview they played half of a call for, for us in our interview. And then they stopped it in the middle of the call. And they said, that's how it's going to be every single day that you come in. You are not going to get to hear the rest of that call. And you're not going to know what happened to them. Are you okay with that? And it was very eye-opening for me because I was like, oh, wow. I ne- you know, I never thought, yeah, I'm not going to get to know what happens to that person. Am I going to be okay with that? And I think for the most part, I have been. But every now and then there is a call where I wish, I wish I knew some details. It's hard. It's like, um, when I used to help out with like oral boards and hiring and stuff for dispatchers where I used to work, um, a couple different places, we, I I would, I would tell them, you know, are you, are you okay with hearing jokes without the punchline? Like you're, you're hearing the first statement, but you're not hearing what's on the back end. And, and similar to Mo, I mean, some, I would say probably one, maybe two of my officers across my career, would be really good about texting me from the road and saying like, Hey, this is what happened or Hey, this is what it actually was, or this was the outcome, whatever. Um, 
typically it was just, Hey, could you throw this in the CAD notes? Cause I'm not in my car. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't necessarily get it because they were trying to help me by telling me the ending. It was just, I happened to find it out, but, um, I mean, everything most said is spot on. I mean, that's, that's standard procedure for us, unfortunately. And, and it's hard, like it wears on our mental health. And a lot of people look at us like we're, you know, phone switch operators or, um, you know, 411 operators, but there's so much more to it than that. I mean, we're the ones that are dealing with the people screaming and nine times out of 10 were, I mean, I'd like to say nine times out of 10, but nine times out of 10 where I'm from, um, dispatchers can manage to diffuse parts of the situation. So it's actually not as bad by the time you get there because mm-hmm. we've done all like, you know, the, the verbal judo or whatever the hell they call it now, you know, where you're trying to diffuse the situation and there's certain things that, you know, we can just be human about at least when I dispatched, I don't know about this particular second in time, but you know, we, we do a lot. There's a lot of effective things that dispatchers do within the process of a call from start to finish. We can get a call where someone is screaming at the top of their lungs for an active shooter, when it turns out to just be some jackass target shooting in the middle of a city in their backyard, you know, mm-hmm. and we go from, you know, absolutely losing their shit to, okay, I'm fine now. I'm just mad that my neighbor's being an asshole you know, and, and then by the time you get there to check the scene, it's everybody's hunky dory, everybody's good to go. And you can clear Mm -hmm. in two seconds and say, okay, no report required. See, I'm out, you know, but we don't get the credit for that. And it's not that we're looking for credit by by any means. I think that's the wrong word, but just, we don't get like, I guess, quietly recognized or just acknowledged. I think is the word acknowledged. We don't get acknowledged for what we do do. And on the flip side, that also causes us great stress. We go home at night, not knowing outcomes. We go home at night, not knowing, you know, like I got a call for a a seven week old baby, not breathing. And I immediately knew it was a SIDS baby a hundred percent. But when I have Mm -hmm. an infinite home at the same time, and it just, it got to me like at the center of my core, I am desperately trying to do CPR on the seven week old with his mother screaming Mm -hmm. on the other end of the phone. And I'm the only one there dispatching fire police, EMS and dealing with her. And the officers didn't, want to tell me or didn't think to tell me at the end, yeah, we actually got pulses back, you know, that the baby's being transported to the Mm, children's mm. center and, you know, she's fine. You know, it just, we don't get those. Um, And it sucks. It really, really sucks. And I mean, that, that shit will give you nightmares. And a lot of people don't realize that, I think. Right. I think it's so easy for us not to see the similarities from the road to, to the center. Um, that, you know, the exact same things will happen to us because I remember being a patrol officer and responding to a suicide or an attempted suicide, riding in the ambulance with the guy, getting into the trauma bay with him. And then that was it. I wasn't a detective. So they're like, all right, go 10, eight, take your next call. And that's it. I don't, to this day, and this was three years ago. I don't know if the guy lived, died, whatever. And I mean, it wasn't, that specific one didn't stick with me, but you never know what someone's dealing with at home. You know, um, right. one of the hardest dead body calls I've ever worked was not a homicide Worked plenty of those was not a car accident Worked plenty of those was not a train accident. It was an old guy that fell asleep and didn't wake up totally run of the mill and normal. But the guy looked exactly like my dad and that stuck with me. So you never mm. know, just like you're saying with the bit, you had a baby at home and you're dealing with a baby call. You know, you never know what the officer, the dispatcher, whoever is going through and it'll different things latch on to different people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that, 
it's that 300 call syndrome and you get complacent to some degree, but then all of a sudden you'll have the one benign call that's just enough to break you. And there's Mm -hmm. nothing remarkable about it. There's nothing crazy. There's no, you know, over the top details. It's just a run of the mill, basic bullshit call that you get 4,000 of a year, but it's that one that's going to just rip you apart on the inside. And I think it's because like the dumpster that's inside of your head just overflows. There's just Mm -hmm. no more room in the trash compactor. There's just no more space. And it's just, that's the straw that breaks you. Um, And it sucks, you know, it's, and and you can break in the middle of your shift. Like it comes on like nothing. You don't see it coming and just, and it comes in the middle of your double and you're sitting there losing your mind, trying not to throw up on yourself and trying not to cry and trying not to like get up and throw your headset across the room and smash the computer in front of you. You have to just imagine that you're doing those things and still sit there and be calm, cool and collected all the time. Like you have to look perfect all the time because we're expected to, ask all those questions and rely on our memory and pay attention to everything else that we have going on. Like we're not allowed to feel things. And I know it's similar to you guys, like, you know, officers, EMS, fire, whatever, you know, you guys do pretty well. Most of you do really, really well at, for better or worse, going to a call, doing the call, staying completely fine until the end of your shift. When you go drink Mm -hmm. it off or sleep it off or run it off or whatever, you know, we all, we know like Mo was saying in the beginning, like, you know, when, when they play that half a clip and say, are you okay? You know, having a career like this where you don't get the backside of the story, you have to learn to be okay with shutting your humanness off and shutting your feelings off and just not existing. Like you become a shell of a person while you're sitting in that chair. And it, it's, it's hard. Like I can't say too, too much about it. Cause I don't, I guess I don't want to say too, too much about it, but um, like I had a, I had a friend of mine actually, um, kill himself on the end of my 911 line and that mm-hmm. ended my career. That, that was it for me. I, I couldn't do 911 anymore. I lasted a couple more months and that was about it. I had to walk away. So I went to a police dispatch center, um, for our state that wasn't 911. We did everything else, but not 911. Um, and that was the change that I needed, but it also stressed me out even more because you had time to feel. I had time Mm -hmm. to hear the inflections in my officer's voice on traffic stops and stuff that would bring me right back to traffic stops in a regular, like conventional police department that would send me over the edge. And I would start having panic attacks sitting in dispatch where I had partners. I had multiple dispatchers in the room and, you know, they'd all turn around and look at me and I'm like, it's okay, nothing to see here. Just, you know, reliving my past. It's cool. And Mm -hmm. they didn't understand because they had never come from a 911 situation. This, this was all they knew. And, and it's hard. It's so unique. It's such a strange position to be in. It's a it's a weird job. It doesn't fit anywhere. It just like we're the redheaded stepchild of public safety. For and sure. <laughs> I don't know how Mo feels about this, but like, and I don't know like how it is where you're from, but being becoming a dispatcher used to be a punishment. And like if you screwed up bad enough, you'd be banished to dispatch. Or, you know, if you're a female <laughs> that works the road and you get knocked up you're going to dispatch. Like it just, you're suspended. Oh, you're going to go be a dispatcher for your suspension. It just, it, everyone gets banished mm-hmm. to dispatch. And and it wasn't until fairly recently in the grand scheme of things that being a dispatcher was its own career field, that people actually aspired to be a police dispatcher, that little kids play on their little toy phones going, I'm going to be a police dispatcher and I'm going to answer 911. You know, it it's, it's evolved so heavily and so quickly in the last decade 
that I feel like it hasn't caught up with itself yet. And we're the forgotten ones in the mental health stuff. We're the forgotten ones all the time. I don't know if Mo agrees or if it's like that where you're from, but at least it's, here it was, it's the punishment. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's the, the, the punishment, but we, we don't get officers coming in to visit us because they want to say hi. They, they hate being there. So <laughs> I, I guess, I guess it kind of is. And, but I, I mean, everyone there loves it. I mean, I, I, everyone is so into their job and their position and we take it so seriously. Um, and so, yeah, I'm glad that it has become its own thing, but you're right. It, it became a career, but without any of the benefits of, okay, you guys do go through PTSD. How, how can we get you the same help that we're giving our officers? Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, that got totally overlooked. Um, well, I mean, they're fighting for legislation everywhere in the country or certain parts of the country to get us certain to be first parts. responders. Yeah, right. that's, that was going to be one of my follow-ups is that, but I'll let you continue, Mo, with what you were talking about. And then I'll ask well, about that. Yeah, that's what I, I was going to start going into that. They, they are slowly passing it finally. And it's funny because there's, like, I know in California it was passed this year. Um, but like there was a, a big fire corporation that actually came out and wrote this huge letter about how they didn't think that we should be called first responders and they were completely opposing the bill and, and fighting for us to not be called first responders. And it was a little bit shocking for me. Um, it was almost like a pissing contest. Like, no, we're, we're first responders because we actually go on scene dispatch doesn't. And they, they said in their letter that they found it to be confusing to call us first responders. And I was, I was kind of mind blowing to me because it was, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to argue with anybody about it. I just really, at the end of the day, I want myself and other dispatchers to be able to have the resources to help them if they do go through an experience, which we Mm -hmm. all do. We Mm -hmm. do. Even if you haven't had that call yet in your career as a dispatcher, it's going to come and you're going to want that help. And so I think my biggest thing is just you know, give us the resources that we need. Don't overlook us because we are we are overlooked right. all, all the time. Yeah. I mean, there's so many dispatchers and dispatcher agencies in the country where, like you're saying, they're not considered first responders. Instead, they are lumped into, uh, what is it, executive, uh, administrative executives or something like that. Administrative and, assistance. And- Assistance, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. And it's like Stephanie was saying before, it's totally different than, you know, fielding phone calls from Fortune 500 companies. It's it's totally, it's different and it's mind-blowing. And it really, it pisses me off as a cop to hear other cops say, no, they're not first responders. I'm like, of course they are. First off, they are literally responding. They are picking up that phone first and telling us what to do. And as I've hoped at, at, to this point, we've made abundantly clear, like, they are sifting through the nonsense that is coming from the other end of the line to either pacify whatever's going on over there or to uh, kind of weed through all the nonsense that the person's giving. Um, so yeah, there is, and and even more so, if you are one of those dispatchers that goes above and beyond, um, which you know I'm learning more and more is just it's commonplace, but you know, you're doing more research into calls. You're pulling up past reports for this. You're pulling up the priors. You're doing this. They are doing 
just as much, if not more than the guys on the road, obviously, um, as far as being a high risk position, no, maybe not, but definitely going with the first responder, with the PTSD, with the, you know, the mental side of it. Absolutely. I think you guys, um, handle just as much as we do in different aspects, just like, you know, that would be, that would be like saying a firefighter isn't a first responder because they don't do exactly what we do. You know what I mean? Like every, there are multiple sides to this box that each needs its own representation. You know what I mean? Well, it's tough because um, a good dispatcher, and I don't know if Mo will agree with me or not. <laughs> a good dispatcher, I think, is it's not, we're not the same as answering a phone for a Fortune 500 company. You know, answering a phone mm-hmm. for some fancy ass company or whatever, it's, you know, thank you for calling so-and-so's office. It's, you know, how can I direct your call? You got to be upbeat and peppy and happy. And I mean, you talk to a police dispatcher and it's like, we have seven nine one ones all at the same time in our ear. Like, what could you possibly want now? Like, please tell me why you're more important than the other six people, you know, yeah. and, and we're a little salty. We're a little bit assholey and, and that just is what it is. But um, it, the tough part is we have to listen to the sounds over you screaming. We have to listen to the background noises. We have to listen mm-hmm. to you know, can I hear a train in the background? Can I hear cars that sound like it's on a highway? Can I hear the river? Like, are there certain sounds I can hear? You know, if there's someone screaming in the background and and the dude in the phone is saying, nope, she's fine. She dialed 911 by accident. And it's clear that it's a domestic. Like you have to be able to Mm -hmm. to figure out those things and sift through the nonverbal stuff. And we have to basically be able to read people and read their body language without actually seeing them, if that makes sense. And that takes skill. Not everybody has the ability to do that. Not everybody is a good police dispatcher. Not everybody has that, that extra sense. I don't want to necessarily call it the sixth sense, but it kind of is like it, you have to be able to, to do so many things all at once and not suck at any of them at any given point. And (laughs) there's no room for mistakes. Like if we screw up, it's really bad. If you screw up, like meh, a memo to your supervisor is usually enough to cover your ass. But a dispatcher, like we screw up or go wrong. We ask one question out of line. We lose points on our QAQI. Suddenly our accreditation's gone and we lose our career. Like it just, it's such a very, it, it's a very fast downhill slide. Um, and that's tough. I mean, that's, that's a weight that we carry on our shoulders. Probably similar to you guys. I'm not by any means saying any other first responder has less weight by any means. Like we're all screwed just in the same way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just we have a different kind of weight on us. That's all. I mean, the minute you walk in the door, I always had that that anxiety that lasted my entire shift of, OK, what's going to happen today? And I'm always the shit magnet. People die on my shift all the time. Like I'm the one that's going to get all the fatalities, you know, which ones come in next and in what order. And you know, it's, you, you walk into work with that underlying stress without even touching the, the, the door, the building, whatever. Um, it starts, you know, the minute you wake up and your feet hit the floor and it doesn't stop until you retire. And that's, that's tough. I mean, it's, it sucks. And you guys at least get the closure part. Like we don't get that. So for 25 Mm -hmm. plus years of only hearing half the story, like you start to go a little batty inside, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're talking and I want to clarify to everybody listening because, you know, most of my listenership is cops, but I'm not saying dispatch or police or fire or EMS is more a first responder than the other. That's not what we're saying here. We're saying 
we're all in the same realm. We just do different things, which is common sense, but we just need to make sure that that's understood. Like we're not saying, yes. well, you know, cause cops are very good at turning everything into a pissing match. And it's like, <laughs> you know, you got the one guy like, Oh man, I'm so tired. I worked uh, 25 hours yesterday. And then the other guy walks in and goes, Oh, well I worked 26. Like, no, that's not what we're saying. Calm down there slugger. Like, you know, <laughs> the point is, and what I, what I, why I brought this up is we are all on the same team. And we need to remember that we need to recognize that and maybe be a little bit more um, understanding, you know, like if a dispatcher is asking you questions again, you know, attitudes and whatever aside, if a dispatcher is asking you a question or she's giving you an attitude or if a call is lacking information, it's probably, I'd say eight times out of 10, not a slight on you or it's not them being bitchy. It's, you know, it, it is what it is. The same reason why your incident report is going to be lacking information is the same reason the cat call is missing out information, you know? Yeah. One of the agencies I worked for, um, it was fairly large. I would say it's, yeah, it's, it's huge, but it was hard. <laughs> That's what because... she said. <laughs> I was waiting for that. As soon as I said it, I'm like, oh shit, here it comes. <laughs> um, it's it's hard because like when I walked through the door, I was expecting like the the brotherhood, that friendship, that family mm-hmm. feeling where you're close with your officers and like you're gonna do anything and everything to protect them because those are your people. Um, and and it's it's tough like walking into a new department and it's like you know either Mo or or you trying to transfer over to a new department, you're gonna be like, all right, where the hell am I and who can I make a friend with quickly? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had those nerves, but it, I was nervous about, well, am I gonna make friends with these officers and are they gonna accept me? And and I very quickly learned that this particular department had no sense of family, it had no sense of connectedness, it had no sense of giving a shit about the person next to you or in front of you or on the other end of your radio, just it was officers versus dispatchers. And it was extremely difficult to navigate myself because to me, my officers are everything. The minute I sit down in that chair, my officers, those are my people. And I don't give a damn about anybody else. Those are my people. And I had that mentality and they, they were trying to like beat it out of me because they kept saying like, why do you care about them so much? They're assholes. They don't know what they're doing. You know, they, they constantly call us and go off on us all the time. We can't do anything right with them. They're stupid. They don't know what they're doing. I'm like, hold on a second. Do you have the book of laws in front of you? Well, yes, I do. I yeah. have it right here. I'm like, oh, and you have it memorized? Well, no, but I know my statutes. I'm like, well, good for you. Do you want a cookie or a medal? Like, these are your people. Whether you hate them or not right. is irrelevant. Right. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, it was three, almost three years of just, you know, it was a, it was a pissing match to the absolute nth degree where the officers were horrible, according to the dispatchers. And according to the officers, the dispatchers were the stupidest people to ever exist. And they'd call you and, and tell you how stupid you were. Which would make me pissed off. And I'm like, well, then screw you. I'm not going to dig as hard on, you know, that background check you want me to do. But the moral and ethical side of me is like, no, do your job. And so I would Mm -hmm. always go above and beyond. And eventually it won me a little bit of respect over everybody else, I think. But at the end of the day, like I had never seen such a rift between the road people and the console people. It was, it was like two different planets and everybody was just so angry at each other. And it was such a hostile environment. And that alone was difficult because the officers just did not want to understand our job at all. And then the dispatchers that surrounded me, they were all under the impression that they could do the job as a police officer a thousand times better than anybody with a badge. And it, 
-hmm. it really comes back to like what you were saying earlier about everyone likes to create a pissing match and you know, everyone thinks they work the hardest or do the hardest job or do the most at their job or whatever. And at the end of the day, like, I just wish everybody would remember that we're on the same team. And I know that stress comes into play and stuff, but like, I just feel like people forget that we're on the same team. And I, I know it's like beating a dead horse, but I feel like, like our community of first responders needs to hear it again. Like, we're all in the same team. We're all in this together. We've all chosen a different piece of public safety because that's where our strengths are in theory, but that's, that's where our strengths are. And that's where we like being. Right. And, we're and all even if it's not strength. Yeah. Even if it's not strength, that's at least the way that we have chosen to go about it, go about public safety, right. whether it is dispatching or fighting fires or EMS or, or law. So yeah, you made a very good point. This uh, Mo, have you had, any kind of uh, interactions with your coworkers, like we're describing where it's kind of like a uh, adversarial kind of thing, or are you guys a lot closer and, and work well together? Um, like I come from a really big center and we actually do work really well together. Um, it's hard because my center, our, our officers aren't there in house with us. So I think that it's, it's a missed opportunity for us to get close with our officers. I think that that would help. Um, I wish that we were just so we could understand where each other's coming from a little bit more, or, you know, if they come back for a report or whatever it is, we would be able to follow up with them on calls. But I think that goes back to why we don't get closure where we're at because they're not there. They, they clock out at the end of the night. Right. We, we never see each other. We don't know what each other looks like. We literally know each other's voices and that's it. Um, so it's kind of unfortunate we're in that. But other than that, I have a great center, honestly. Um, everyone that's there is really, really great, really helpful, especially to any, any of the newbies. Um, we have a great training program. Um, so I, I, I feel really lucky where I am. I'm glad that I was able to uh, be hired where I'm at. Yeah, that's good. Um, and my agency and my dispatchers are very similar. We, um, you know, we don't like, I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like, Oh, you know, when, when calls are down, then I'll just go and hang out and dispatch and we'll, you know, have snacks together and whatever. And I'm like, that's cool. I, I don't <laughs> like my, my agency isn't, you know, isn't massive, but it is large. It is busy. We don't have that chance, but it's almost even on a, on a, dare I say, slow night. Um, (laughs) you know, it's kind of frowned upon to go into dispatch and like hang out with them just because there's some kind of like, you know, if you're going into dispatch, you're going to shop, you know, you're looking for your next (laughs) ex-wife. So, so So the idea is like stay away from dispatch because that means you're you're looking for trouble, Um, which is unfortunate because I've made decent friendships and relationships with dispatchers because the way I see it is we are working for the same common goal. We are in a sense coworkers. Like, you know, we should be friendly. We should, I didn't understand or when I was new, I didn't really put it all together, the closeness and whatever of my squad until we went out to dinner together and I met my coworkers' wives, met their kids, like got to really know them as people, not police officers. Then it's like, oh, this is the people that I'm making sure he goes home to mm-hmm. every night. You know? And I feel like if we sat down with our dispatchers or we got to know our dispatchers a little bit more, same thing. 
maybe a little bit inverse, you know, our dispatchers now know a little bit about us, yada, yada. And I think that makes for a much healthier mm -hmm. family. So just, uh, does the, wherever you're working. Yeah, I totally agree. I loved when they came in. I thought it was great when they came in and, and I've never had such a close working relationship with people than when I worked for this one particular department, tiny, small town, rural farm department. I mean, it was, it was definitely small, but that's what made it amazing. And I mean, we had our drama and believe me, oh my God, the drama, but because it was so small, everyone was up each other's asses, but, mm -hmm. um, it was fantastic. I mean, I had a sergeant who actually went to the academy with my husband, and I didn't realize oh. it until after we started dating. But um, so it was a, a super small world for us. But um, the the sergeant that I worked with, he would come into our shift, and he would make his rounds to all the officers and the dispatcher. And I worked with him for a couple of rotations. And he would come in every single night and sit down for 30 minutes with each person and just talk. And he would just say, mm -hmm. like, how's life? Is there anything that I can do for you as a person? Is there anything you need from me as a supervisor? Like, how can I help you have a better day? And he was just the absolute greatest sergeant I've ever worked for, the greatest officer I've ever worked with, just gave a genuine damn about everybody. And he was the epitome of that blue line family mentality. And I think not having that in the next department I ended up at, like, was so heartbreaking. So having mm -hmm. you guys come into dispatch is everything like having you guys just say like, Hey, nice job today. Or, Hey, that was a great shift. Or, Hey dude, what a shitty shift. Like just acknowledge us even in the hallway, walking out the door, like act like, you know, us don't pretend that you have no idea who we are, that, you know, you're, you're they, and we're them. Like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. remind us that we're on the same team. Just like we remind you that we're on the same team. It's important to have that camaraderie. And to build that relationship because it, it resentment breeds very quickly and with no basis sometimes. But it was really, really great to have everybody come into dispatch and just hang out and bring yeah. pizza and coffee. And for me, it was yeah, these yeah. peanut butter cups. <laughs> that's what I wanted. And that's what they always brought me. If I was a bitch on the radio, they would throw bags of Reese's over the, the top of the console. I mean, they're like, I'm sorry. <laughs> It was just awesome. Yeah. I miss it. I miss it dearly. That's good though. That's very important. Um, my squad was just, we were talking about it yesterday. We're like, Hey, like we wanted to do it before Christmas, but now it's after Christmas. So we're like, you know, maybe we should go buy like a couple dozen donuts, go out to the center and like take a tour, meet everybody. I was like, you know what? That's not a bad idea. Like, you know, we, we gotta have this healthy, you know, family like atmosphere, like, and we'll just, we'll just keep it keep it yeah. pc you know <laughs> but yeah it's i think it's i think, it's I think we important. spend enough time as it is with not being able to put a face to a voice as you know um right. so i think we need that interaction with our officers even if it is just to come drop off some pizza or something i think we really do appreciate it we we like to put the face to the voice. I think it just, it helps us. It really does. And it's entertaining, yeah. not for nothing. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure Mo's experienced it, but when you, when you picture what someone yeah. looks like yeah, <laughs> and, and then they walk in the door and go, Hey, I'm officer. So, and so yeah. I'm like, what, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> right. Right. You're kidding. Right? Like, yeah. 
it's like I made a meme the other day where it's like when the, when she has a 900 <laughs> operator voice, but she's got a wish.com <laughs> body or whatever. Yes. But exactly the flip side, you know? So, you know, you could sound like, you know. I told you, you'll sound like Captain America and you'll show up looking like Shrek. And we're like, what? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> you were my voice crush just yep. yesterday. <laughs> exactly. And voice we used to laugh at definitely a thing. Absolutely. If you sound like a one nine hundred operator on the other end of your radio, like I fully expect you to fulfill the visual <laughs> when you come around. The <laughs> don't. It's really sad. I mean, like it's it yeah. ruins your whole Just don't, day. Don't come in then. Just never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you sound what you do. <laughs> what you do is you then get your SWAT buddy and be like, "Hey, drop this off. Don't say anything, and walk right out." It's like okay. And then, yeah, that's, that's how you do it. You got to trade uniform shirts in the in the parking lot, though, because your name tapes. Up here, they're sewn oh. on. You can't get away from them. <laughs> See, it's not for us, so we can just, we can deal with that. Lucky. There's, there's different ways around it, yeah. <laughs> so what other issues have you guys seen as dispatchers? And just like, you know, we were talking a little bit about PTSD, uh, you know, and Stephanie, I, I meant to mention it our last episode, but there's PTSD and then there's also cumulative stress. Mm -hmm. And I feel like definitely there, you know, that's kind of the debate is for cops, at least, you know, is, is PTSD a thing for cops? And it's like, yeah, but there's also cumulative stress because, you know, it's, it may not be one specific incident, but doing 25 to 30 years of multiple incidents um, obviously wears on you, you take some of that home. But as we were kind of talking about when dispatchers take things home, it's totally different because first off, there's just so much unknown on your side of the radio. So you guys kind of talk about your experiences with that and kind of how, you know, go from there. Yeah. I mean, cumulative stress is, um, it is different than PTSD or just post-traumatic stress is a topic. Um, one of the common definitions, and I'm going to read it right from project109.org because I'm horrible at memorizing shit, but um, cumulative stress takes place when the inputs in our body, like nutrition, sleep, and other forms of recovery are not able to fulfill the drainers, like stress and other forms of things that take away our energy. Um, whereas the post-traumatic stress is like compounded traumas and really overly negative experiences. And cumulative stress is super, super common. Um, I personally think, and this is not clinical by any means, I have no statistics to back this up, but just through personal experience, I personally believe that if you are in this job for longer than four to five years on a full-time basis, you absolutely have cumulative stress, 100%, without a doubt. Or if you've done this job more than two years and you work a shitload of overtime, same thing. Um, the And for any of you guys who listened to the last episode with 109, um, I gave the analogy of the bucket and it's, it's the steel bucket with holes in the bottom and the holes can be huge or not. It depends on your life. Those are the drainers. So you have your water in your bucket, you have the line, the full line halfway up the bucket and you've got water coming in the top and you've got the water pissing out the bottom from all your stressors. You have to make sure that the water going in the top from, from the things that fulfill you and regenerate you and recover with you, you have to make sure those are going in at the same rate or more than the shit that's draining it from the bottom. And we suck at that. First responders are fantastic at helping mm -hmm. other people, 
That's what we live for. That's what we're good at. We usually do it because we have traumas in our own life that we're running from. Um, and, and by constantly giving, giving, giving to other people to take care of other people's bullshit, to fix other people's crises, to deal with other people's issues when everyone's running away and we're running toward it, um, that, that weighs on you. And that becomes that, that stressor, that chronic stressor, and you don't fulfill yourself enough. And even just working overtime, you need to have enough time in a day to sleep. You can't do four 20 hour shifts in a week. I know that it happens sometimes. I know that sometimes we have to I think to. that's a lie. <laughs> you can call bullshit all you want, but I guarantee it's a hell of a lot better if you remembered what a normal work week was. But it's, but that's the thing. Like we don't get a normal, like we don't get five days a week, eight hours a day where, you know, with a, a one hour lunch break in the middle and your two 15 minute breaks on either side of that. Like we just don't get that. It's just not an option. You know, you, you're stuck eating dinner on your MDT, I'm sure. And Mo, I mean, you know what it's like trying to not to spill your taco salad on your keyboard. <laughs> And it, yeah. it's, it sucks. Like it, it sucks. And cumulative stress doesn't always have anything to do with the calls that you take or the, the shit that you see. It's simply working a shitload of overtime, having a boss that's an asshole, um, having coworkers that don't care or don't pull their weight. Um, it doesn't have to have anything to do with trauma. That's just strictly an environmental thing. A hundred percent. You have to have healthy sleep habits. You have to have healthy, healthy coping mechanisms. You have to have some level of nutrition and exercise. Um, and I know that's completely hypocritical because I have had none of that for most of my life. But um, it's it's tough. Like cumulative stress is a thing. And a lot of people don't want to recognize that, it, that it's a thing because it makes them feel broken. Or if, you know, they're busy being in denial of whatever level of stuff they have, like talking about it is stressful in and of itself. Um, but it's hard. I mean, I, I was doing hundred hour weeks on average. I made a shitload of money and it was fantastic, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I was dead to the world. I had absolutely no energy. I had no time for my kids. I don't remember much of my little one being a toddler because I was always at work, constantly at work. Um, and it's hard looking back at pictures and stuff that were taken from birthdays that I missed and Christmases that I missed. And Easter and all the other holidays and stuff and summertime celebrations. And I mean, you miss all that stuff. And that alone is a cumulative mm -hmm. stressor. Missing family time, even if you don't have kids. Um, it's hard, you know, losing your marriage because you're working too much, um, you know, and you develop close relationships with the people that you work with generally. And unfortunately, there is a lot of extracurriculars that occur in public safety. <laughs> Cause we spend so much more time with our coworkers than we do with our spouses or our significant others and mm -hmm. not saying it's right. So guys don't take that as your green light. Don't do that. It's really, really bad. Don't do that. But they say as they're pulling into their, <laughs> oh, their <no>. <laughs> or their oh, my ER. God. <laughs> when I first got hired, they all shuffled in like single file a minute apart oh, to like yeah. scope me out. I'm like, Oh, get the hell out of here. I'm married. Go away. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a thing. And I don't know what most perspective is, but like, it's, I feel like cumulative stress will sneak up on you a whole lot faster than anything else. Yeah. I know when I listened to your guys's other podcast that you, or, you know, the other episode, um, one thing that I remember sticking with me was you guys talking about how you can't compare your experiences to others. And often that's why people kind of shy away from admitting that they're going through that stress or that they do have PTSD. And I, 
I related to that because I feel that I've always told myself like, no, you don't have the right to feel anything about that call because my officer just went out and had to look at it. You know, EMS just had to go pick that, that body up and they had to see it firsthand. So I, I have a huge um, issue myself with not accepting what I'm feeling and constantly comparing myself. I know that that's an issue with me and I feel like that's an issue with a lot of dispatchers. Um, and also just like officers, how, you know, 10, eight, you guys talk about how it's kind of shamed and looked down upon to admit that you need help. It's the same, it's the same way on our end. Nobody wants to admit it. I've seen so many times where girls get up after a difficult call and they'll go cry in their car. They'll go cry in the bathroom and they'll come back out and it, it's like nothing ever happened. They're not going to let anybody know. Um, and it sucks. It sucks that it's like that. But I know myself, I, I'm doing the same thing. So it was good to hear you guys talk about it. Because um, I was like, oh, man, they're t literally talking about me right now. Like, I do that. So it helped me kind of identify that it's okay for me to say, okay, that was a tough call. It's okay to go outside and take five minutes and breathe. It's imperative that you don't compare yourself yeah. to others. And, and I, I feel like I preach that probably too much, but um, again, like people need to hear it. It's, you can't compare yourself to someone else. Like, you know, you know, Mo, if you and I are working for the same center and I'm your support dispatcher and we just heard the same call or you took the call and I dispatched it. Um, you and I are both in on this call and you could be crying in a complete mess and I'm stoic and sitting there just stone cold, just nope, we're good. It doesn't necessarily mean that you and I are feeling mm -hmm. different things. It just means we're showing them differently. Yeah. Um, and it's hard because we, we are the, the queens and kings, but queens of keeping it all inside and, and telling ourselves, nope, you're not worthy of feeling that way. You're not worthy of feeling mm -hmm. at all. You know, how dare mm -hmm. you, you feel sad about X, Y, and Z. But the, the reality is like, it's, it's everything to allow yourself to be. And it comes back to um, something as simple as like mindfulness and, and really existing in the present and feeling in the present, not living in the yesterday or the five minutes from now or the tomorrow, but experiencing what it is that you're experiencing right now. Don't tell yourself that you're not. If you're feeling a certain way, then that's how you feel, period. You don't need mm -hmm. to justify it. Um, and I think that's what we've been wrongly taught in this field for so many years, decades and decades is either shut up and deal with it or you don't feel that way. And because so many people are telling us that we start yeah. to believe it. Right. Um, or when but we see I also our officers that, come in. Yeah. But I think one of the issues that we also get is if you have a traumatic call and it's affecting you and you're feeling away, well, that's all fine and dandy, but you still have to right. handle business. So you have to go, you have to handle the call and that call could be five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour beyond. It could be an entire shift. And then what do you do from there? Well, there's more calls holding or I, I got to go write this report. You know what I mean? So to take that time in the moment isn't always, isn't always applicable. So then you kind of store it away like a chipmunk and then it either you forget it's back there and it gets kind of shoved down in your bucket or, you know, or, you know, hopefully now that this is our second episode talking about these things that people start 
unboxing it and being like, all right, let me, let me feel this. But I think that's just where we go. You know, we, we want to, like me, I try to be much more mindful and, and, you know, take things as it's coming, but that's not always possible. So then we push it down and then we forget about it. And then we're reminded at inopportune times, or, you know, we, we deal with it later when we, we're not really dealing with it. You know, we're, we're, going to we're drinking we're smoking or you know doing other things instead and we don't really know why so i think it's very important that you know we address that even as a dispatcher as a cop you know something bad will happen you're still at work you still you know if if you are if you have a good supervisor or a good chain of command they'll say hey go take five let's go do a debrief go do what you need to do and i've been Mm -hmm. a part of that as well but if you don't have that, you you need to give yourself, you need to have that know-it-all or whatever to take five minutes, take a few minutes and and feel those feelings. Don't, you know, don't compartmentalize it, which is what I am so notorious for doing. The important thing to do is, because, um, I mean, you brought up a good point that y- you have to bury it while you're at work. And, and that is true to a degree, 100%. I agree with that. Like, you can't be falling apart for mm-hmm. every single call. Um, but... Um, and, and I was talking about this with a, a commander from a, a local department not too long ago, and we were debating this back and forth. Um, it's imperative that you set aside a certain amount of time every day. Try to be somewhere around the same time every day if you can um, to decompress, to allow yourself to run your day through your fa- through your brain like a video um, and to just kind of replay the moments of the day. And the ones that stick out are the ones that will naturally replay, you know, the little mundane things won't, but it's imperative that you set aside a certain amount of time every day, every single day to allow yourself to experience your feelings. So whether it's the ride home in the car where you crank the death metal or the, the Beethoven or whatever it is that floats your pontoons, like you want to make sure that you give yourself enough time. And, um, there was actually a, um, a major crimes guy um, that responded to a, a really prevalent uh, mass casualty active shooter um, that happened a number of years ago here in our state. And he said, and it stuck with me forever. It was so simple, but it was so profound at the same time. He said, I would blast music in my car on the way home. And if my drive home was not enough, I would turn around and drive back to work to swing through the parking lot and drive home again. Um, and just keep doing circles until he felt like he could get out of his car and be a dad mm-hmm. and be a husband and be mm-hmm. the person at home that he needed to be. And it, it sounds so simple, but we forget it. We're so quick to just go through the motions of our life and we only give ourselves the amount of time that logically exists, but it's important to consciously carve out a section of time. So when you go to the gym, that's not going to be your time to decompress. It can be a time to decompress, but it's not going to be the time to fully decompress. You have to carve out a section of time to sit with yourself quietly and actually experience the things that you just dealt with for the day. And they could be simple things that just pissed you off, but that's fine. Then sit there and be pissed about it for a little while um, and help yourself work through that. Because without doing that, that's where you're going to get the buildup of shit in the dumpster that takes up the residence Mm -hmm. of your brain. Um, So yes, it's important to still get through your shift because you can't be falling apart all the time. That'll be an emotional train wreck for yourself, but you have to carve out time. You have to make a conscious decision 
to do that and to process things. Otherwise you're going to be processing a 25 year career at, at retirement. And that's a whole lot of shit to happen yeah. all at once. Yeah. I think, I think that's all right. I know, you know, people do meditation, people do different things to like, uh, I had an FTO that he said that when he got home that he did specific things that took him out of work mode and put him back in dad mode. And he would, you know, like, and he, he recommended I do the same thing. So at the time I would always get changed at the station. Like I would show up in gym clothes and then I would change out. Well, he said that that's fine and everything, but do something when you get home to know that I am no longer officer such and such. And I am dad. I am, you know, whoever. So that, I think that's a good idea too. If there's like a physical reminder, like for me, it's taking my watch off. Like now I, I just come home in uniform, but I'll take my uniform off. And the last thing I do is I take my watch off and I put it in my little tray and that's it. That's when I know that. Cause I used to wear a watch all the time. Now I only wear it at work and that's my physical reminder. Like mm-hmm. days over, you know? So I think that's another good thing, you know, to keep work at work and, you know, you can basically deal with it. Like, like Stephanie was saying on the drive home, but the moment you're back in home mode, you know, that's, that's, that's how that has worked a lot for me, but it's unfortunate because at the same time we work does come home with us and, you know, I'll be sitting watching TV with my family. And then before you know it, like my mind wanders off and I'm, I'm back at work, you know? So that's, that's tough too. Yeah, definitely. I'm, you yeah. gotta find that. I, yeah, oh, no, sorry. I, I'm so big on even just getting fresh air and sunlight. Like that's huge to me just to decompress myself. And I'm also big on what you're putting into your body. I've noticed if, if I'm not going outside and just getting some fresh air and having that quiet time, like Stephanie was talking about, just f- 15 minutes a day where I don't have to think about anything. And if I'm not putting good food into my body, I just, I notice that I do take it home with me a lot more and I'm just in a, a bad mood. And then you, you know, I, I end up taking it out and I know it when it's happening, I can feel it. And I'm like, okay, I need to just remove myself. I need to go give myself, like, even if I, I'll take myself for a drive. I've done that plenty of times, but just go on a drive and get some fresh air, no music on nothing, just quiet time. And it helps me personally a lot. But like she said, you have to find that thing, whatever it is that works for you. Like when my husband gets home from work and since I stopped working, he has to do at least two overtime shifts a week, which has put a lot of stress on him. Um, And I noticed that he has a harder time coming home and like taking it off and going back into dad mode or to husband mode. Um, And when he walks in the door and I, I used to get so frustrated with him until I realized that this is his thing to take it off and go into dad mode. He, he comes home from work every single day, opens the door and takes the dogs out in a certain order. And we have three dogs and he takes the dogs out in a specific order. And then he goes straight to the kitchen. He cleans the kitchen, does the dishes, puts away the clean dishes. Then he comes into the living room and sits down and it takes him a solid half an hour every day to actually get my husband back to go from, you know, Sergeant Frantic to just Mr. Frantic, husband, dad, whatever. And it, you can see the shift and, and I know he's not a dispatcher, he's an officer, but it's it's the same for all of us. Like that that shift happens, that blink of an eye where it's, okay, you're different now. Thank you. Like come back home now. Um, and, and you have to find that routine. And it could be something really simple. Like literally for my husband, it's taking the dogs out and washing dishes. 
You know, those are two Mm -hmm. stupid tasks that are completely insignificant in the grand scheme of life, but that's what gets him to shut off and go back into human mode. I struggled with that when I was still in it. I did not separate myself. And that's why I try to like push that idea with, with responders who are still in it. Cause it is so important. I would wear my job shirt all the time because, and, and I describe it to people now, like um, it's like the, the weighted blanket. Um, I call it my tactical hug. Cause I would mm-hmm. always wear my job shirt. And even in the dead of summer, my job shirt, for some reason that was like my armor. I could hide behind it and I was ballsy as shit in it and nothing could get to me. And so I would wear it all the time, even in 95 degree weather, I'm sweating my ass off but I'm not taking it off. Cause that's, that was my comfort. That was my safety, but it always kept me in work mode. It allowed mm-hmm. me to stay numb. It allowed me to put all the shit away and not address it. Um, and it really sucked when I had to start wearing civilian clothes to work. We had no uniforms in my last center. So you couldn't wear that stuff. And it was okay, business casual. And, and I was really, really hard. And I, I wish I had known at that point that it was so important to, to take it off and to actually go through some level of routine motion to make that switch and to go back to being a human. I never knew that at the time that I needed Mm to. Um, And it's, it's a thing. People don't realize that something simple is a single movement or motion or smell or scent or sight or something is enough to put your brain into a completely different place. Yep. And I've, uh, I was at my niece's graduation and I was on duty and but my supervisors let me go to their go to our high school graduation. I'm sitting there, ceremony ends, we're outside, we're taking pictures, and a lady behind me was having a heart attack. So and my family even said you could see the change in my demeanor. Like I was, you know, I was in uniform, I was at work in my jurisdiction, but I went from off duty me to back to work me, and they said that like your entire face, your eyes, they all changed. And, you know, anyone listening, I'm sure they, they've experienced this if they're, if they're on the job in some facet, but if they're not, they're like, these guys are talking crazy, but it's, it's a hundred percent real. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's a real thing. And it's something that we need to learn how to do is to, you know, accept that both, you know, we, we are, we are both Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde so to speak, or we're both Clark Kent and Superman, but you know, we need to acknowledge that they're both there, but we can't let them bleed into each other. We need to make sure that they stay separate for our own well-being, you know, and uh, hypervigilance and, and the, the stress and all that stuff, you know, that starts to leak back into your civilian side and people get pissed when I say cops aren't civilians, but you know what I mean? <laughs> that we need to make sure that the, the work and the the home life, they don't get too interchanged to the point where you don't know which is which. And that goes back to what Stephanie was saying about, you know, not working copious amounts of overtime, having your time off, having your family time, you know, or like Mo said, taking 15 minutes out of the day and going for a walk, going for a bike ride, doing these things that just separates it all. And it, it, it really does make such a difference. And, I noticed like, like when Mo was saying, like, if I go too long without going to the gym, my mind is fucked up and I just, you know, I just can't get out of my own way. Can't get out of my own head. You know, it's these things, uh, nutrition, uh, you know, physical health and all these, these things, Mm -hmm. it all goes together. And 
we need the balance for yep. for balance. It's also important too to stay true to your personality type because mm-hmm. we're all different. And a lot of us tend to be type A in this career field generally, but there are times when people aren't. And and I my husband will kill me for saying this, but um like my husband is he's got balls of steel at work. Like he will fuck shit up at work. He's got no problem telling people where to go if he needs to, but he's also extremely polite and very, very respectful as well. Like he's got both sides, but like I've seen him like lay waste at work when he needs to. And it's awesome as a bystander to be like, that's my husband. He's fucking that dude up. That's my husband. But at home, he's the most passive person on the planet. And it pisses me off because I'm like, you're so alpha at work. Why are you coming home and making me make all the decisions and you're just along for the ride? Like, mm-hmm. where, where is like the alpha decision maker here at home? Because I'm tired. Like, I need someone to take over. Um, mm-hmm. And he just doesn't. And I, I for years, I, I got so pissed at that. And I, I would hammer him. Like, why can't you just be ballsy at home? Like, why can't you be how you are at work at home? What the hell is the problem? Why can you not do this? And it took me a while to learn and I, I'm, I hate myself for admitting this to him because he's going to go, oh, my God, and he's going to make this big deal. But it took me forever to, to realize that, like, he has to be true to his personality type to truly decompress. So he can't come home and, like, wear the balls in the family. He can't come <laughs> home and, like, run the household, too. You know, so as hot as it is to have a spouse that's got, like, balls of steel at work because of his profession – it doesn't always mean that he can come home and do that shit at home. And mm-hmm. that's his way of, of being able to take it off and decompress. Cause if I expect him to be the alpha male at home that he is at work, then I'm not allowing him time to be a human and to rehumanize himself. So it's, it's also important for us to stay true to our personality type in that way. So if, if you're more of like the meeker, quieter person, but you've learned how to be ballsy as fuck at work, then go do that but make sure that you come home and you're your genuine self. Don't wear that mm-hmm. armor 24 seven. So don't take it halfway off and then be who you think people need you to be or want you to be, or try to live up to the persona of whatever your job is. Like be, be yourself when you get home. Um, and don't be afraid to not be like you are at work. Like it's okay to be Jekyll and Hyde. It's okay to be two different people. Cause sometimes we have to, um, it comes with the territory, but you know, if you're the the quiet, nerdy gamer type, then then be quiet, nerdy, and game your ass off when you get home. Like, there's nothing saying that you have to be a certain way at home. Um, and I think people forget that too, because I know I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's very that's a, that's a good point because I know a lot of people they try to, like you said, wear it around the clock, and unless that is you, it can get exhausting. So that's that's a good point. Um, so we are going to wrap it up. I think this was a great conversation, but before we do, before we say our goodbyes and, and, you know, we, we sing the, uh, Sesame street theme song or whatever they do. To end <laughs> it. Um, I will turn the floor over to you guys. If you have anything else you want to add that we may have not covered and then, uh, we'll kind of go from there. So we'll start with Mo. Go ahead. Um, nothing else. I just want to say thank you so much for having me. Uh, project 109. It was great to be on here with you. And uh, shout out to all the, the meme family out there. They know who they are. Perfect. And Stephanie, go ahead. Thank you guys so much for, for doing this. And I look forward to doing more episodes with you know other topics and stuff. And Mo, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to get other perspectives and to have other dispatchers because I feel like we're the quiet ones that 
exist in our own little world and people forget. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess the the takeaway that I want people to have from from this first little inaugural episode of the stuff, the collaboration that we're doing, um, it, be true to yourself. And I know that sounds trivial, but really give some thought to what that means to you as an individual and uh, make sure that you take time to be yourself and to decompress. Carve out that time every day. Don't give me that bullshit that you don't have time or that the gym works because it doesn't. Um, like take that time and sit and and try to remember that you have feelings and that it may hurt. It may not feel good. It may be sad. It may be angering. It may be shitty, but it's important to sit with that. And then at least you have a starting point of what you need to work on or how you can start helping yourself before you get to the end of your career. And it's 25 years of compounded crap. Um, and as always, Project 109 is 100% present and available to anyone all the time, everywhere first responders and their families. You can get us at project109.org. Um, we're on Instagram at project.109 or Facebook at, um, I think it's Facebook slash the, the Project 109, if I remember correctly. Um, but just look us up. You'll see our, our logo. Um, and uh, we do have another round of hoodies and shirts coming available. I think they're pretty sick. Um, this theme of this go around is the Phoenix Rising. So... Um, and it's uh, very tactical, if I do say so myself. A lot of our SWAT mm-hmm. guys are super stoked for it. So that'll be up soon as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, if anybody needs anything, project109.org, we're here for you 24-7. We have a free database with all kinds of resources that is available to anyone and everyone on demand all the time. So all you need is an internet connection and you're there. So, But thank you guys so much for for having this platform and, and doing this. This is This is awesome. I can't wait to keep it going. Awesome. And uh, I want to thank you too for talking and, and giving the dispatcher point of view, because if I was given the dispatcher point of view, this would have been a five minute talk and then we'd be <laughs> on to something else. So I really appreciate it. I think we really kind of opened the door and I can, I can already see us having more dispatcher based talks just because it's, like you said, it's kind of the less talked about side of public safety so i'm looking forward to that i can definitely see that um and again if anyone has any questions hit up stephanie hit up mo hit up me if you really want and that's where we'll go from there uh stay tuned Once again, I want to thank Dispatcher Mo for joining and having that conversation. Now, something we're doing a little bit differently. Usually it's just my voice we hear at the end of this, but Stephanie is going to be joining me for the outro today. So Stephanie's here. Hello. And and, uh, so what we're going to do when we do these these, uh, group efforts with Project 109 and the Cop Council and everything is we're going to be doing it collaboratively. So I know I took the beginning of this week's episode, but we're going to be doing it basically together um, because it is basically a a collab. So uh, get used to hearing more than one voice 
It's it's not you going crazy. It's it's supposed to be that way. <laughs> so, uh, Stephanie, it was a really good interview. It was a really good conversation. I think we really talked a lot about bridging the gap between cops, first responders, and their dispatchers. And I think in that, saying that dispatchers are also first responders. Absolutely. It's... um. Yeah, I mean, I think we covered it pretty well, and, and Dispatcher Mo had some really great points that, um, you know, there there's validation for like us poor dispatchers over here, kind of <laughs> being we're the we're the first first responders. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're the first ones on the scene, and like the public can't get connected to nine one one without us, and we're that middle link. You know, everything right. from the the CPR stuff of like Annie, Annie, are you okay? You call the code and get the cart. You go call nine one one. You know, it we're the start of every bad story. We're the start of every, um, you know, this one time. Everything right. is just it lands on our desk, and I think, I think, I hope this episode brings a little more clarity as to like what dispatchers' lives are really like. Right, right. I, I agree. I think um, just and and I'm guilty of this too. And and I dated dispatcher, but you know, you kind of don't realize just how much goes into dispatching what you know how specialized it really is you know and like you said in your story like if uh, if a patrol officer sat down at the console and you said hey just take this call for me i have no idea what that means that sounds terrifying <laughs> like you know what i mean so uh i think we definitely opened that window um which is very important and i hope like i said that we have more conversations like this in the future uh, where we can talk about dispatching and, and you know, and the effects that it has on us or uh, on you outside of the job as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and Mo, of course, she was just great to talk to. And we'll, there, you know, there's plenty of dispatcher pages. We'll get more involved and we'll get, you know, more perspectives around the country and and so on. And actually, since we're talking about that, so the Cop Council and, and our episodes are going to be as regular as we can make it at least once a month, I would like to do. Um, so next month is we're going to do something a little, a little different. It's going to be like a cop spouse episode. I'm so and excited for this one. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to ha- we're going to have the actual, um, you know, wives or husbands of police officers or maybe both maybe they're both police officers or dispatchers or whatever and we're going to talk about it and we're going to try to schedule it around the valentine's day time you know make it all there's some intent with that uh but (laughs) we promise we won't screw up anyone's valentine's day (laughs) right 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 before you know it, we're having police wives and their and their husbands fighting like you said you really think that a giant bitch fest. <laughs> right, right. No, I think I think it's very important that we talk about these things. You know, um, relationships. Well, it all comes really... back to the reality. It's it's the reality of what relationships are like. It's the reality of you know dual first responder families or you know mono first responder families. It's I mean it's a bitch being a cop's wife. So it's I can only imagine like the fire wives and the medic wives or you know, first responder husbands, um, cause those are there too. And it's just, it's mm-hmm. just not an easy life. I mean, you know how it is. It's just, it's not yeah. an easy life. It's, it's a worthy <clears throat> life. It's not an easy one. Right. Right. And there's just so much that goes into it between the worry that comes with it, the, you know, getting accustomed to shift work, 
and then all the different stresses and, and negative coping mechanisms that come from working the job and how that affects family life. I mean, the, the possibilities with this conversation are kind of endless. I, I'm really excited to see where this goes. It's going to be good. I promise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're going to, it's going to be free couples counseling by a bunch of non-trained people. Oh Lord. <laughs> they're they're going to get to hear our opinions. Right. Right. Well, <laughs> maybe I'll sit this one out and I'm thinking about it, <laughs> but yeah, no, it'll be great. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And, um, other things to look forward to it from the 10, eight podcast side next week, I will be interviewing this guy known as the red ninja. He is an interdiction mastermind. He's an instructor with street cop training. His name is Sergeant Kenny Williams. So we will be having him next week. So check out that. Look forward to that. It's going to be fun. Um, I don't know, Stephanie, do you have anything else that you want to add from project 109? I mean, we're, we're still here. We are coming out with a sick new hoodie design. So if y'all are down for tactical type hoodies that uh, speak a little more to the SWAT and ERT side of the house this time, um, <laughs> it's coming out in OD green and desert tan. That was like the overwhelming color scheme that was selected. Um, nice. So those are going to be coming out, I'm, I'm hoping, in the next couple weeks. Um, but those are going to be super sick. So keep your eyes peeled on that. And special pricing, and these are limited only for this run. So once it's gone, it is gone. I like it. And, um, oh, you know, one thing I did want to talk about before we wrap, it's, this is weird. Usually my episodes are already packaged up and ready to go at this time. It's Wednesday night. Usually it's like, you know, it's like Christmas Eve, like this, the tree's all set. I just need to wake up and, and it's going to be taken care of. But, uh, because we're doing this a little late, which is fine. Um, this afternoon, there was some weird stuff going on in, uh, in Washington with, uh, you know, everything that's going on in the world. I, I swear every day you wake up and things just get weirder and weirder. And we're not going to make this political. That's not my point. But, you know, I, I just had someone message me and they were like, you know, why does everyone feel this way? Why, you know, why is everyone not doing this? And I, the one thing I just wanted to point out with all this, and I was going to talk about it next week, but it's it's topical now. So we're going to talk about it because who knows what crazy thing's going to happen next week. Um, is that we can't get stuck in the us versus them mentality. We, and we really need to, and, and Stephanie, you know, as a police officer's wife, who's been in the life, uh, you know, you, what we need to do is really console our loved ones and say like, you know, I've been trained to do this. I know what I'm doing. Should it come to me? But, you know, try to make sure they don't worry. It's tough. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's, it's hard from being like a, a police officer spouse, whether you're a husband, a wife, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, um, it, a, just a significant other. It's, it's really hard. And you have like the civilian side of the family that um, likes to have an opinion and it's not always a law enforcement friendly opinion. Um, and then you've got kind of the general public that's all around you and you got to make sure that, you know, as you know, I'm the matriarch of my household. I, I run the household because my husband's always at work and I've got, you know, our four kids here at home. And it's tough because when I go out in public, I'm out at the local Walmart or the local stop and shop. And, you know, you've always got an eye kind of around the back of your head and you take off all the blue line stickers from your car and you don't wear, you know, law enforcement t-shirts or, you know, I don't wear any of my husband's t-shirts out in public because you just don't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And with these ups and downs and 
and even just as a police wife in general, like I, um, I'm going to be taking some classes with somebody and, um, I made the mistake of friending them on social media. Um, and there's all kinds of anti-blue stuff on social media. And, you know, now with kind of these new things that have come to light in, and today and stuff with the new politically charged things that are being posted, you know, I was tossing it back and forth with my husband before Mm -hmm. he just left for a third shift a minute ago, you know, should I say something to her and say, Hey, I'm, I just want to like level the playing field here and let you know, like I'm, I'm a police officer's wife, full disclosure. I understand that, you know, you have animosity and you're not happy and I apologize for that, but like, can we have a working relationship or do I need to like bail and go find another teacher? And it's hard. It, it's, it's hard. I feel for everybody stuck in this situation, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's really hard having this us versus them mentality. And yeah. like it, there's, it just sucks. There's, it's not meant to be that way. It was never intended to be that Mm -hmm. way, but that's how it's working out. And, and it's hard. We need to keep kind of reality at the forefront of our mind, I think, even if not everybody does. Right. Right. And it's, it's hard because you want to stay with people that you feel safe with. And obviously you want to stay with like-minded individuals. So for us, we want to be around police people, but, or police supporters, we'll just go that way. But at the same time, you don't want to just isolate yourself with people from work because that's not healthy either. So, so, but what do you do when you're, you know, back when you were allowed to go to bars, what happens when you're out at a bar and you find out your buddy is not a police supporter? And it's one thing you don't have to love me, but just don't hate me. And, you know, what happens when you find out your buddy hates the police? Right. For really no reason, because he's not going to have he probably didn't have a negative uh, interaction, but you know, he's told by the media that this is what, this is the villain of today. And I don't know, I don't have that answer, but I just know that we need to try to keep things level. And I can tell you multiple times where, like I said, you don't have to love me. Just don't hate me where someone may not be a pro police person, but they understand that it's a job. They understand that we have a side we have to take. And that's it, you know, and, and we still can carry on other conversations. We can still have a friendship and, you know, we just, you may not agree with some of the things that I have to do in, in my line of work and that's it. We're going to move forward. And, and the other thing is, and, you know, I've talked to people in different conversations on this is that the really nasty stuff we're seeing on the news nightly really isn't the national like norm, you know, people are still getting along businesses are still open and guess what we all have to go to work tomorrow so that's really what i just want to keep everyone in mind with like don't don't worry don't be here thinking that the sky is falling um be cognizant of what's going on but try to keep a positive mind would you agree with that absolutely there is a light at the end of the tunnel we will get through this or past this somehow i don't know when i don't have all the answers i wish i did but it's important to know that, you know, everybody out there in the first responder community, like you guys are supported. You guys are cared about. There are millions of people who do support you. Unfortunately, in the media right now, those are those people are not going to be depicted, um, you know, but the, the political- right. But I can tell you, sorry to cut you off, but I can say personal experience that more people have come up to me in public saying thank you for what you do than the negative. The people that are saying the negative things are the people that were going to say the negative things anyway. Like, exactly. it's not like, it's not like you're having a family, you know, of five at, at a restaurant come up to you and be like, Hey, 
you're a fucking racist. You know, like that's not happening. Yeah. What's happening is you're having that same family say, hey, I really appreciate what you're doing. And the people that are flipping you off in the streets are the ones that you're about to arrest, you know? Yeah. My husband had someone walk up to him the other day, walk right up to the side of his cruiser. And my husband was immediately like, oh, fuck, what is this now? Yeah. And because that's unfortunately, that's like where your minds go now is like someone's approaching my car. Shit. Um, mm-hmm, but you know, mm-hmm. he knocked on his window and he was like, you know, excuse me officer. I just, you know, I, I know you don't know me and, and I hope I'm not like making you nervous. I just wanted to say thank you and let you know that I'm praying for you and that everybody yeah. on your department is just amazing. And, you know, we support you mm-hmm. and, you know, my husband doesn't talk about a whole hell of a lot when he gets home about like specifics of his day, but like he, that was the first thing out of his mouth and it's, it's a good thing to, to be able to hear the support. And I wish all you guys heard it more, but um, yeah. you know, you are supported and just mm-hmm. breathe through it. Cause that's all you can do. <laughs> we just right. got to get through right. each day. Right. And no matter who's in the big chair in Washington, when it comes down to just you, me working, is, is it really going to make a difference on our day to day? Probably not. So just smile, grit and bear it. And we're going to get through it. That's really what Adapt it comes down to. And exactly. Exactly. So that's really what I just wanted to end on because it is topical. Everyone's kind of freaking out in the news because of the news. And I, I get it. It is. Things do look bleak. It does look like a weird action movie, but you know, just try to keep a positive mind with that. All right. So that being said, I'm going to put the kibosh on today's episode. I want to thank Mo again. I want to thank Stephanie for, for doing this with me and, and starting this partnership. I think it's going to be a lot of fun as we roll through. Yay. <laughs> so um i always forget to do the music credits because i'm always figuring out the music at like the last minute but i have it today so here's the music credits for today uh the first song we did was she's kerosene by the interrupters then we started the interview with back that ass up by juvenile because i had to <laughs> and then mo's special request was fortunate son by credence clearwater revival and we are going to wrap it up in just a moment with so this one is from The Currents, and it's called The Place I Feel Safest. And this was always my jam out song at the end of a long shift because it's basically like a nightmare wrapped into a song. And when you blow your speakers out to it, you will feel a thousand times better. Perfect. And because I don't want any copyright attorneys calling me, we do not have rights to any of these songs. They are available for free on YouTube. So go check them out. And then go buy their record and listen to them on Spotify. That being said, we're going to call it a night. Thank you very much for joining us. And we'll see you next week. Bye, Stephanie. Bye. Thank you. The secret that we take. They don't do justice to work and dates. The spirit you can shake that I can't be heard. Why does this darkness feel so familiar?